listener and welcome to the Crypto Corner episode on the Metacast brought to you by Nadek. I'm your host today, Nicolas Vreke, um, or Nico for short, and I'm joined on this special episode by Michael Sanders from Horizon Blockchain Games. Michael is the um, storyteller, the chief storyteller at Horizon. Welcome, Michael. Thanks, Nico. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. How is it to be the chief storyteller in a time like this where it feels like over half of the gaming industry is absolutely hating on everything that is remotely touching blockchain technology and crypto? Yeah, um, you know, it's de that definitely poses a challenge. Fortunately for us, um, you know, our community really understands what we're doing and we're focused very much on building a game first experience with our game. And then, you know, we also have the infrastructure and wallet to help other developers and creators. So whenever someone comes in and actually experiences what we're doing, while they might have a little bit of skepticism at the outset, once they like experience our game Skyweaver and see like, oh, these folks are actually building a game first experience, then it, it really starts to make sense with them. And then they see that the, you know, the NFT, the blockchain component is more layered onto the experience, providing them additional advantages such as like ownership and tradability. And then things really start clicking, you know, like I've seen professional Hearthstone and Magic the Gathering players play Skyweaver without even really knowing at first that there is a blockchain component. And through free play, they end up winning these NFTs and they're like, oh, holy shit, Crypto Web 3 makes sense to me for the very first time. Um, so, you know, there is a lot of noise and a lot of people are, you know, concerned for various reasons. And I think a lot of the, you know, the concerns are valid. And, and a lot of times it's people just haven't had a good experience with uh, a Web 3 game yet. And so, we're here to change that. And I know a lot of other games are coming out as well to do the same. Um, cool. And could you tell us a bit more about what Horizon is building, what, what you're doing there? Yeah. So we founded Horizon Blockchain Games in January 2018. And our vision is for building this new dimension where internet economies are fun, accessible, and for the benefit of all participants. And our mission to achieve this is to drive Web3 adoption by making blockchain easy, fun, and powerful for both users and developers. So we have a couple different products to drive this adoption. And the first is Skyweaver, which is a free-to-play trading card game where players can win, own, trade, sell, gift their NFT cards. And it's a very game-first experience, sort of in the genre of Hearthstone or Magic the Gathering, and you know, happy to dive into all the details about uh, everything Skyweaver related. And then we also have Sequence. And Sequence consists of a couple different components. So the first is that it's the smartest wallet for Web3. It makes Web3 easy, fun, and secure for everyone. So you can think of it as like your, your wallet, your backpack, your gateway, and your passport to this next generation of the internet that has crypto, NFTs, and everything else related to Web3. And so that, that's really allowing users access, and then developers can also integrate the Sequence Wallet into their product or game to make it super easy to onboard people uh, to their Web3 application or game. And then uh, Sequence is also a developer platform. So it's a portfolio of products to make building these Web3 applications and games easy, You know whether they're doing it on Ethereum or a layer two or a sidechain that's part of the EVM ecosystem. And um, just in case anyone doesn't know, EVM means the Ethereum virtual machine. So a, a network of chains. Okay. Let's, let's dive into Sequence first and then we can go into Skyweaver. I have a lot of questions there. Um, 
what makes Sequence unique from the perspective of a user? Why would someone choose to use uh, Sequence over MetaMask or maybe over a Coinbase wallet? Yeah, so really it's about, it's the harmonization of seamless UX. So like an experience that's essentially as easy as any Web2 experience, coupled with smart contract architecture, which gives the user a ton of different capabilities and extensibility in the Web3 ecosystem. So, you know, to give you an example, a user in two clicks through social or email login can create this secure, non-custodial, multi-chain Web3 wallet. They don't need to think about seed phrases or, you know, these complex structures that creates a lot of friction for the person who, you know, might just be looking to play a game. So we really solve the onboarding experience in that way. And, you know, typically up until now, you've kind of only had seamless wallet experiences that are more of like a custodial solution. So the user doesn't actually have full custody and control of their funds. Whereas with Sequence, it's non-custodial. The user's in total control of their assets. Um, And there are a few other things. So first, like there's first-class NFT support. So, you know, ERC-721s, 1155s, any game collectible, it's going to display in your wallet with the art or the video and all the metadata, and it's just going to appear automatically. And you can even view your NFTs and collectibles in a gallery view. So not only is it a place to store your assets, it's a place where you can actually like engage with them and experience them. So that's really important for, for gamers. Um, additionally, like we've made a lot of the, we've simplified a lot of the payment systems. So, you know, transactions, for example, they render in a user-friendly format. So you can just see what you're doing and say like, oh yeah, that's, that's what I want to do. I want to send this NFT over to my friend. Um, we've also enabled so you can pay gas fees in any ERC-20 token that you're holding. So, mm-hmm. you know, like if you're a brand new user, you, you might not have ETH to interact on the Ethereum main network. You might not have Matic to interact on Polygon. So we let you pay those gas fees with any ERC-20. We also allow the developer of a game to actually subsidize those gas fees to make it extra friendly so that a user wouldn't need any token at all. Um, You know, there's other things like you can bundle transactions. So you can send like you can send tokens uh, such as ERC-20s like USDC and uh, Ether and Matic uh, in addition to collectibles like ERC-1155s and Skyweaver cards and other artwork in addition to ERC-721s and NFTs um, all in a single transaction. So this saves users time. They're not waiting for multiple confirmations. It saves them money as well because they're only paying uh, one gas fee. Um, You know, and... There are a number of other things like we've made it really accessible. It's browser based. You can also access it. Uh, We're releasing a mobile app soon. There's a Chrome extension. So it's it's quite universal in that sense. And it's incredibly secure because we have multi-key architecture. And and this is one of the great benefits of smart contract architecture is that without needing to worry so much about like your seed phrase is that single private key, which if someone compromises it, they get full access to your to your account, right? And they can drain your funds. Whereas with Sequence, it's actually a multi-signature design. So by default, you need two out of three keys to sign into your wallet. Um, and, you know, you can rotate keys out. Um, let's say you had like your cell phone was logged in to your Sequence wallet and you lost it in an Uber. Well, you could actually remove that key, remove your device from the wallet, and then regenerate a new one with your remaining keys. So w- what this does is it just it really gives the user enhanced security and peace of mind. And um, 
And then one other thing is that it actually, so sequence actually brings all of the different EVM chains together. So like it's already supporting Ethereum and Polygon. We're adding support for Optimism, Binance Smart Chain, Arbitrum, Avalanche, uh, Phantom. And so the user can interact with all of these different networks, all of the applications on these networks, and all of the assets on these networks from the same simple, sleek UI. And they can even like bridge assets between different networks in wallets. And so just really making the user experience nice and seamless uh, to welcome people to Web3 instead of making it so complex. I really like that. How does the um, the safety work? So, I mean, if you say the a multi-key, a three-key model is what you said, right? And how does it, like, where are these three keys? So let's say that I, you know, create i use a social i use my google login to create a sequence wallet in my browser where do the different keys live yeah so by default there are three keys and there is one key that is associated with for example your google login mm -hmm. there's another key that's associated with the device you're using and then there's a third key which is called the guard key which is encrypted and stored on a server And so this is this server, you know, Horizon has access to, but of course we don't have access to the key in and of itself because it's encrypted. And furthermore, we can't do anything with only one key because you actually need uh, a quorum of keys in order to access your wallet. So this really helps us. It enables us to help users recover their account if necessary. And as we go along, we're actually planning to enable customization. So Nico, if you wanted to, you know, let's say you're like, oh, I don't want that guard key there, like because Horizon, you know, it's on their server or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. You could actually customize it. So like, let's say you wanted to have seven keys and one's associated with your tablet or your friend's computer. And, you know, you have seven keys and you need five of them to sign into your sequence wallet. Um, that's that. Components not live yet, but we will enable that customization for even enhanced security, which you know will likely be reserved for those who are more advanced uh, in the Web3 space. That's really fascinating. One of the things I, you know, when I hang around in Web3, um, on many of the decentralized apps that I use, I click on Connect Wallet and it gives me MetaMask and maybe sometimes Wallet Connect. Um, will that then work with Sequence as well? Or how, how does that work? Yeah, so um, already you can connect with Wallet Connect, um, and then you can connect your sequence wallet that way. And we're also in the process of working on a bunch of integrations with top dApps across Ethereum and Polygon. You know, a lot of a lot of games, a lot of NFT marketplaces, even decentralized exchanges and DeFi protocols. Um, and so you'll start seeing that that sequence option in a lot more um, dApps as as time goes on. Mm -hmm. How important, because in the beginning you talked about getting onboarding more people in onto the blockchain and into the world of Web3. How important do you think is a user-friendly solution or wallet solution for that? I think it's extremely important. Um, you know, if you look at some of, let's say, like some of the top metaverse is in, in Web3, you know, they'll see like, you know, let's just say Snoop Dogg or somebody tweets about some Web3 metaverse, and then all these people flood to that application, they're seeing such a significant drop off at the wallet creation phase because it's just it, it's so much friction and it's it's foreign to people who are coming from Web2, you know, and it's even frustrating for people in the Web3 space. Like I give tremendous kudos to the wallets that have existed thus far because uh, they've helped like evolve this ecosystem. Right. But I think it's really time that we welcome in 
hundreds of millions and eventually like billions of people to Web3. So we really need this seamless experience so that rather than seeing like, you know, an 80 to 90% drop off of high intent people, we can actually onboard virtually every one of them through a, a very seamless login. Mm -hmm. You don't want to know how many pieces of paper I have in a safe somewhere with 12 to 24 random English words written on them. Um, so I, to I totally get that. What do you think is the most important next step in, you know, ma mainstream blockchain, blockstream, blockchain adoption? Yeah. So, well, first off, I, I believe that we've solved the onboarding experience problem, which is a, a big mm -hmm. crux for both, you know, not just the users, but of course the developers and the game creators building these products, you know, because um, they need to be able to onboard these folks seamlessly. And I think uh, the other key piece is content that appeals to a more general, more mainstream audience. You know, like I think most of what we've seen is super interesting for a lot of, you know, crypto natives and people who have been in the space for a long time and people who get drawn in by NFTs. Um, but, you know, like, such game first experiences like Skyweaver, for example, and other games that are just, they're designed not to, um, you know, the reason they exist isn't just because there's crypto in it. It's actually in and of itself a fun experience that could be enjoyable even if there were no Web3 component to it. Um, but there actually happens to be like there's this addition, these additional superpowers for end users. So I really think it's creating content that's just enjoyable and, and fun and, and beneficial for, you know, a more mainstream audience. Mm -hmm. And then in five years, how many people do you see onboarded onto the, the blockchain space? In five years, I would say somewhere between 500 million and 1.5 billion. That's, that's my guess. It's, uh, it's relatively conservative for, uh, people within the blockchain space, but I, I think it's, um, that's fair. That's well, I think I think in 10 years, it's going to be like 4 billion-ish, you know? Mm. Um, I, I just think, you know, it's going to hit that point. I, I'm not exactly sure when the acceleration is going to... I think yeah, it's yeah, going to come yeah. soon, but I, yeah, I'll throw out a little more conservative estimate, I guess, no, 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 <laughs> than other folks. And honestly, like, I've, I've used your wallets. Um, I've, I've played a bit of Skyweaver that we can dive in next, and um, I'm very impressed with the the ease of use i've just just described how many times i have to like oh crap i have to set up another wallet because i'm using a different chain um you know and and having to write down these things um that said i mean curious to see how the recovery um like goes right if i ever did, like i don't know lose access to my google account or whatever i'm curious to see how that goes but um i, I really like the idea and i i believe that um this could be a game changer it's good um, all right, let's dive into Skyweaver. What is Skyweaver? How would you um, how do you describe it to people? Yeah, so it's a free-to-play trading card game. And yeah, as I mentioned, it has a very game-first approach. So we've actually been mm -hmm. we've been building it for four years and rigorously play testing it for three or more with a lot of like, you know, professional magic players, um, a lot of casual trading card game players as well, uh, world champions of Hearthstone and Pokemon. So we've we've very much focused on the gameplay. And um yeah, like we we talk more we talk about play to own we don't use the term play to earn because we're not trying to set the expectation you come to skyweaver to make money um you know skilled players can earn a lot of like awesome rewards that they can own and trade but the experience first and foremost is about the game and 
so it's, you know, there's, there's 500 unique cards in Skyweaver. Um, there, it's a turn-based strategy game. I know your, your audience is like primarily gamers, so they, they know like what a trading card game is. And, you know, it has a lot of uh, incredible heroes, like a very immersive experience in terms of we're, we're evolving the lore. There's a lot of like dynamic strategies you can use with different prisms and different heroes. Uh, something that's quite unique amongst trading card games is that, you know, uh, units have attached spells. So they're like these disposable attacks that you can initiate um, during your turn. And it creates for like a lot of sort of more game changing moments and dynamism, making the experience really exciting. Um, it's it's player versus player, of course. And um, yeah, there's like an amazing deck builder built in game. And then there's, of course, this player owned uh, market that makes it super seamless and easy for users to trade cards with one another in this like in this decentralized way. So you know it's this it's this trading card game with actual trading, um, kind of bringing the you know traditional tabletop games like Magic: The Gathering online and actually bringing that trading component uh, to the internet. Yeah, a few weeks ago I had the game lead from Gods Unchained on. Um, where it, I mean. Putting trading like trading card games are probably the the number one genre when you think about you know where it just makes sense to put it on on the blockchain where ownership is such so essential and so natural to to players. Um, did you design Skyweaver keeping in mind that it would be a blockchain game? Was it always blockchain like intended to be a blockchain game? Yeah, yeah. Like we knew since day one of our company that we really wanted to enable folks to own and be able to trade their cards. So we knew it was a blockchain game from the very beginning. And, you know, right from the outset too, we were we were building Skyweaver at the same time we were building Sequence because we knew we needed to build the infrastructure and wallet to make the game accessible, um, you know, so our friends could play it, right? And so anyone mm. could play it. Interesting. Okay. So would you would you say that's, you know, Skyweaver was what you like was the end goal and sequence was a necessary part together? Honestly, man, they're they're equally important. Um <laughs> and I think as a as a company, like they work so synergistically with one another. Mm. For example, with sequence, we wouldn't have known what to build for sequence in terms of the wallet, in terms of the infrastructure, if we didn't have Skyweaver to work on. But at the same time, like what good is a wallet? What good is infrastructure if you don't have incredible content for people to enjoy, right? Um, and I, I believe as a company, Skyweaver will be the only game we make, but we believe this can be a multi-decade franchise that could become the biggest trading card game of all time, and, and that's our ambition. So we want to service this game for a long term. Um, yeah. That's really exciting. I was a very big Hearthstone nerd for about two years of my life, right? Uh, I played that way too much. Um, <laughs> so um, I, I'm certainly looking forward to it. I don't play anymore. I, I thought, you know, it, and, and also like the money I've put in there, I guess like this is a very easy answer of why, you know, blockchain just makes sense. You know, I, I've a few hundred bucks at least um, I've put into that game. And uh, now I have a lot of beautiful cards in there that I don't look at, can't access, can't sell, can't do anything with. Um, yeah, I guess that's uh, that's what you're solving. Um, I'm curious, knowing that you were building a blockchain game from the start, did this influence some design decision decisions on the game side and or on the economy side for the game? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, I'd say one of the one of the things we faced over the years was to 
for example, resist the temptation of making it making the experience too blockchain centric for the purpose of let's say doing some kind of NFT drop or what have you or token sale to you know raise a bunch of money off the bat um, and potentially lock us into an economy or game design that doesn't actually serve the community and the long the longevity of the game. Um, so we certainly like we've taken this very game first approach and we've been very deliberate with how we think about the economy. So, you know, we wanted Skyweaver to be accessible. So free to play is an important component for us. It's also a browser based game. So, you know, you can play it on most devices, uh, anything that's really internet connected. Um, and so that accessibility is really important. And then the way the entire economy works, right, is like we have 500 over 500 unique cards in the game, you know, each with different artwork, mechanics, abilities. And each of these cards exists as three different grade types. So the first is that a card will exist as a base version. And the base versions are non-tradable. They're non-blockchain items, but you can unlock all of them through free play, which, you know, this eliminates any pay-to-win dynamics because everyone can unlock these cards and get the total access to the strategy of the game. And then we have uh, what are called silver cards. So we have these weekly leaderboards and the top ranking players at the end of each week actually mint silver NFT versions of the cards into existence. And the silver version, they're cosmetically enhanced. So they don't provide you a gameplay advantage, but they give you ownership, cosmetic status in game, the ability to trade those. Um, and then we have another game mode, a highly competitive game mode called Conquest, where you pay to enter with either $1.50 or one silver card. And it's a single elimination tournament style mode. So if you lose your first match, you're out and you lose your stake. But if you win a match, you win one silver NFT. Win two matches, you win two silver NFTs. Win all three matches in a conquest and you win one rare limited supply gold NFT and a silver NFT. And again, with the golds, no gameplay advantage, but like status, cosmetic, um, ownership, tradability. So this took us a lot of like, a lot of consideration to figure out like how do we create an economy that's sustainable, that benefits players, that rewards players, um, and you know, doesn't risk something like hyperinflation. Because if it's too easy to mint cards, then you know, then no one's really gonna care about owning them because there's just, you know, billions and billions and billions and then, mm -hmm. you know, who cares, right? But um, you know, some people will sentimentality and status, but like in terms of any tradability and, and like selling it for something. Um, so we Yes. So being on the blockchain, like we, it's, it's informed a ton of our, our design thinking. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. So I've been playing your game for a bit. I got a bunch of cards. Those are base cards and those are not NFTs. Correct. If they have the purple border. Yes. Um, okay. Now I don't know if you've ranked highly on the weekly leaderboard. Um, I haven't. Okay. So yeah. So, so yeah, then, then they're base cards. You're yeah. You, you sound like me. Like I have not won any, uh, silvers or golds yet. Cause I admittedly am not the best TCG player and there are people way better than I am. There you go. Yeah. Um, that's really interesting. Um, yeah. Why are you, and, and so how do you think around the price? Cause I've, I've checked out your micro marketplace and I think the cheapest card for sale was dollar 18 or something and the most ex expensive was one was 300 i believe um are you concerned with the price at all or is that because you know it is just like an additional element on top of the game and it doesn't influence the game for people because they can get the cards for free anyway um are, are you thinking around that yeah i mean the 
you know, the, the price will attract different sorts of users into the game, right? Like, um, and we've known, well, we've anticipated from the beginning that silver cards will trend around a dollar fifty. That that's what we've imagined because conquest game mode costs a dollar fifty to enter, and you can pay conquest with a silver card. Um, you know, this doesn't take into consideration all factors, right? Because some people, you know, people have sentimental reasons as to why they love a card so much. So then that can influence the value of it as well. And cards, um, there's really interesting incentives for players each and every week in that, you know, of the 500 cards available in Skyweaver, only eight of them can be minted each week via Conquest. And there can be an arbitrary number of copies of those eight cards, but it's so in week one, you can mint cards one through eight. And then in week two, we shift to cards nine through 16, which means cards one through eight will never be minted again. And so their, their supply is fixed. So, you know, those sorts of things, that scarcity will likely have an impact on the price that they're trading in the market. And um, yeah, you know, things have been going well so far. And the other thing too is, right, like let's say a gold card becomes really expensive. Well, you don't, you don't need it to play the game, right? Just like you said, like you can unlock the base card um, if you really want to accelerate unlocking cards in your gameplay, then you could buy that silver card on the market and it's probably not going to be too expensive. You know, I understand people in different regions, expense is a relative term, but, um, mm -hmm. you know, it could be a dollar fifty in that range. So, um, we think with the way we've designed it, we're really, we're, we're catering to sort of the different demographics in that you can get the base cards to play the game. If you want that ownership, that rarity, you can buy it or win it if you're super competitive. Um, Yeah. So that, that's how we're thinking about things. Hmm. How are you thinking around expanding the game and keeping thing balance, things balanced? Yeah, so we do uh, we do patch updates every two weeks um, and like minor fixes more often, but um, pretty much every day. But um, the, the <laughs> game balancing of cards, we release a patch every two weeks and most most patches include some, some balancing. And, you know, especially over the last, like three plus years of playtesting, just a ton of balancing, right? Because you just learn so much, um, you know, both through player feedback in the community in addition to the data that we're, we're monitoring. So the way it works is that um, our Skyweaver cards are eternal, which means they're never rotated nor banned. Um, so you'll always be able to play with your Skyweaver cards. Now, this means that it, it is essential to, you know, nerf or buff those cards because, you know, you don't want a card getting out of control, like overpowered and then it being kind of a poor experience for people competing against you. So um, there is that. Uh, so we're constantly balancing and we're very transparent about that. And it, it's for the long term health of the game. So our, our players are you know very receptive to that and uh, folks understand. And um, in terms of expansion, like we have a we have a lot of cool plans um, coming up. So like. We're, we're looking at in-game guilds. Um, we'll have observer mode and replay modes, which really helps with like community engagement and streaming and things of that nature and uh, tournaments. Um, we've already had 11 community-run tournaments, and most of those have third-party cash sponsors, and those are all happening independently of us. And so there's going to be a lot more tournaments coming, especially because we've just entered into open beta as of February 8th. So all the tournaments previously actually occurred in our code-gated uh, private beta. So now that we're open, like we're anticipating a lot more. Um, you know, we're going to have new cards, uh, expansion sets. Uh, we're going to be enabling the customization of private matches. Uh, we'll be actually adding in different cosmetics so that users can personalize their player experiences. 
Um, we have these like, they're called these lethal puzzle games coming out. So there's a number of different things that we're adding in uh, this year, actually, um, to you know expand the Skyweaver ecosystem and experience. That's really cool. You mentioned community a few times, um, and I think this is everyone realizes that community is key within a blockchain gaming world. How did you approach community, and what are some lessons that you've learned? Yeah, so community has, I mean, I think most people in Web3 understand this, that community is of the utmost importance, and we've held that philosophy since day one. And, you know, we started very modestly four years ago. Um, we've, from the beginning, we've set out to be very welcoming and inclusive. Um, and so we've, we've really nurtured that energy since the beginning. And you can see in our Discord, which now has about 99,000 users, which is actually bigger than like Hearthstone and Magic the Gathering Arena, which of course are the two biggest Web2 trading card games. Mm -hmm. uh, and we just entered into open beta. If you go there, like the conversation is actually overall pretty wonderful. Um, very little toxicity. And we're, we're very deliberate about curbing any toxicity and having conversations with folks. So I think building a super inclusive space um, where it's not... Um, it, you know, we're also, we're, we're reactive. So we, we let kind of the community run with some things and we have some principles about how to treat one another. And we really want the community to support one another so that they're not always just like asking us questions and then we're always the ones who have to respond. So it's been really about like empowering people within the community. Um, we also have a creators program so that this really, like if someone's a streamer or a content creator of any sort, right? We, we're going to reward them and and foster them and nurture them so that they can grow our uh, their audience, which you know in turn grows our audience. But it's this really like symbiotic relationship. Um, and yeah, there's just like a lot of honesty and and we're very transparent with our community and um, yeah, just welcoming. Like and and it's it's welcoming in a community sense and then also welcoming in a technological sense with respect to how we've built everything. You know, we're not asking you to learn all about blockchain and wallets to start playing. No, it's like, just come play the game. Like, that's what it's about. We're, we want to provide a really fun experience for you. Mm -hmm. Do you have, so you have NFTs? Do you have a Skyweaver token? Um, we do not. Um, you know, we've, of course, like each and every card is a token and there are their ERC 1155s. Um, and that's actually that we co-authored that token standard because we needed it to um, mm. enable a trading card game like Skyweaver. Um, and, you know, now that standard's seeing a lot of adoption throughout the space. So, you know, technically right now there's 1,020 different tokens because there's silver and gold. But then in terms of like, a you know, a Skyweaver token, like an ERC-20, um, we've we've done a lot of thinking about it over the years and we have some we have some cool plans uh and ideas coming up um so yeah we we do think there will be a, a token um at some point i just can't uh i just can't yet say exactly when it'll be okay exciting um you described different standards for nfts could you elaborate a little bit what makes the 1155 standard stand out for the from the 721 and what the key differences are yeah totally so the 721's awesome in the sense that every ERC721 is an NFT. It's a non-fungible token by like the true definition. It's unique. It's one of one. This works really well for things like artwork, uh, if you only want a one of one artwork. In terms of game items, um, 
it's not always as applicable and as efficient because, for example, in Skyweaver or really any trading card game, you know, like let's say we're talking about the Mother Athera card in Skyweaver. We don't mm -hmm. want each and every one to be unique because like my Mother Athera is the same as your Mother Athera. Like it has the same abilities and on the marketplace, it, it should have the same value or like very close to it. So with ERC 1155, um, you can have an arbitrary number of copies of a card, all with the same properties, all part of the same smart contract. And then, so there's there can be an arbitrary number of Mother Etheras, and then we have the Fungi card over here, and there can be a different number of those. Um, and each card can have its own arbitrary number of copies. Now, this is um, this is super important for markets and liquidity and like efficiency of trading. So. In addition to co-authoring the 1155 standard, we created something called the Nifty Swap protocol. And for those who are familiar, you can think of Nifty Swap like Uniswap for ERC 1155s. So like Uniswap for game items and collectibles on the blockchain. And what this means is that it's an automated market maker, which is a decentralized marketplace where there are no bid or sell orders. Instead, prices are algorithmically calculated based on the liquidity supplied to the market. So what this does is it makes it super easy for players. Like in Skyweaver, for example, you can see on the market like, oh, um, if I sell my fungi card, it, I, if I sell it now, it's gonna, I'm going to get $1.60 for it. Um, you can also see the buy price. And so it really just makes this trading experience nice and seamless uh, and easy to understand. Um, and then, you know, that underlying technology I'm talking about, the Nifty Swap protocol, uh, you know, it, there's there's a lot we could talk about there, too, um, if you're interested. Yeah. No, um, I'm definitely interested. It's probably slightly outside of the scope of um, of what we're going to be discussing today. But, but that's, I think, something I'd like to, to touch upon maybe in a future episode. Um, it's interesting because right now it feels like, you know, everyone talks about the floor of NFT collections and, um, you know, with automated market maker, like the floor is, is just a number and it doesn't mean that you can at this point sell your NFT for that price. Um, and I think, you know, having these Uniswap like pools for, you know, NFTs also makes a lot of sense. It's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, and um, it's, it's also, it's really important for games in general, right? Like if they, mm -hmm. if they want liquidity on their markets so that their users can actually buy and sell, like, pretty much instantaneously. Um, so it, it actually makes the gaming experience a lot better. And so that technology, is that now fully open source? That Can other games use that as well? Yeah, it's, it's open source. And we're actually going to release a, a front-end standalone version of it as well called NiftySwap, where it's a generalized marketplace for ERC-1155. So just like instantly being able to buy and sell your game items and collectibles. Um, and then, so like, so Nifty Swap as a front end will be like a generalized marketplace. And then the Skyweaver market, it's a front end on top of the Nifty Swap protocol, but it it specifically focuses on Skyweaver items, Skyweaver cards. It doesn't pull, it doesn't display anything else that are in the liquidity mm -hmm. pools on the protocol. So that means that, you know, someone else, they can go build their own front end and they could do it to display like, I don't like Nico, you create a game called Nico's game. And then like you could just display all of the, the cards or the game items from your game in your front end mm -hmm. version of Nifty Swap. And um, in fact, like there are even others who have already built um, marketplaces for Skyweaver 
that connect to the nifty swap protocol that are so it really makes the ecosystem truly decentralized because other folks can extend upon it mm -hmm. so essentially you're competing against other people who could potentially build a better marketplace than you they could yeah um i'd say and if they do you know that like all the power to them and kudos to them for making it better than we could for now like most like the vast majority of liquidity flows through the sky river market because it's like in game that's where the most players are it's like nice and seamless etc um but yeah course yeah um you know I, I can hear other game industry people in my head right now asking you okay how do you make money because that's still important when you're building a game and a business um could you tell us more about that yeah for sure man um so in skyweaver we earn we earn revenue in a few different ways um the first is that that conquest game mode i mentioned to you anytime someone's buying in with a dollar 50 we earn that revenue also, anytime that there's a trade on the Sky River market, buy or sell, we take a 6% fee. Um, furthermore, if someone goes and sells one of their cards on a third-party marketplace, let's say OpenSea, we earn a 5% royalty for that. So we are earning, you know, kind of independently of where the items are traded. Um, we're also uh, planning to sell other cosmetics, so not cards per se, but, you know, like in the game, there are heroes. You've seen them, Nico, like... We might have hero skins where, you know, you could buy those as cosmetics at a varying price ranges or like, you know, island skins or kind of, you know, cosmetics like it, that a lot of Web2 traditional games would have as well. So we can sell all those from a primary market and enable users to trade them too. Um, and then so that that's on the Skyweaver side, how we earn revenue. And then on the sequence side um, of the wallet, we monetize the end user through by providing them things like token swaps. So if they're swapping tokens, we take a super small fee for providing that convenience and making it super friendly. Um, and, you know, the, the swap fee market, um, you know, based on volume, it is quite, uh, quite profitable and revenue uh, generating. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, it's and there's a number of other monetization streams we can enable uh, with sequence. But those, those are like that's kind of the, the gist of what we have at the moment. Mm -hmm. um I've talked about um, your game with my colleagues at Navic, and they mentioned um, one that the game is insanely good. It's going to surprise and drive a lot of people into Web3, very polished. And they were surprised at the slow out rule. We've seen quite a lot of blockchain games kind of build in public. Um, you've been slower with that. Could, could you elaborate a bit on that strategy? Yeah. Um... We've just been we've been very deliberate and focused on making sure that when someone comes to experience the game, they're not met with a ton of friction and a ton of uncertainty around what Web3, what blockchain is. So we, we've been building the game and ensuring that it's like a really fun experience. And, and that's been like through all this rigorous playtesting, right? Um, so that that in and of itself is like one journey, just building a game on its own. And at the same time, like we're a startup, we, you know, we were only five people at the beginning, we're now 45, but we're also building the infrastructure to make all of this possible. So it, like creating that seamlessness, like building a transaction relay or bu building a blockchain index or building this wallet, make sure everything connects together and that it's secure. Because like the last thing we want to do is have some, you know, screw someone over, right? So doing all these things in tandem, just like it, it takes time to make all of these things possible. And in terms of like building in public, I mean, with Skyweaver, we, you know, we did open up the alpha as of December 2018 with a very small group at the time, like 20 people outside of mm -hmm. our company. And then since that time, we've just been welcoming more and more players into our code gated environment. So, you know, we had like 
hundred over a hundred thousand users throughout the journey of the private beta um, experience. So it wasn't like it wasn't totally in private. You know, you could get a private like a, a code uh, access. It wasn't that difficult. Um, but mm-hmm. it's just really been about like being super intentional with our design and making sure we deliver something that will break through. You know, and like you know your comment of like it being polished, it being enjoyable, and it being something that can break through and attract people to web3 and be this fun gaming experience that's what that's what our ambition was um so yeah hearing you say that it makes me believe that we 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 took the right approach with with the way we're rolling it out I respect it um i also saw that your games are available on um the uh, app store and on android um could you tell a bit about that experience like how how easy was it to get it on there the fact that it's you know blockchain uh, has blockchain uh, assets in it Yeah, so um it's you know there there were there were some learnings throughout the process, but now yeah, now now we're in the stores. I'm pretty sure that on iOS you can't interact with the market directly. So like if you're playing on your your phone, um so you would have to like play it like in browser. Um Okay. And then yeah, in terms of like uh Google Play, like you can use an in-app purchase to buy a Conquest ticket, for example. And um, I, I, I forgive me for not knowing this because I don't have an Android phone, but I'm pretty sure you can interact with the market from your Android. And then, of okay. course, you can if uh, you know you're on on your browser. So, it, yeah. yeah, like we're we're on both those stores, and I think those experiences will get, especially on iOS. I, I imagine it'll open up and like get better and better. Um, and I think it'll just take a little bit of time uh, for us. Like, probably not that surprising to you. Most of our players are on uh, the well. The highest percentage is on Android, and then like desktop, and then and then iOS. Okay. Does uh, so for the one point five dollar buy-in for the conquest mode? Does Android charge a fee on that? Yeah, yeah. There is a fee that uh, Google Play collects. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Um, all right. Um, I also saw that you're building on Polygon. Could you explain a bit what you were looking for on, on the blockchain side? Uh, I guess obviously it would be have to be within the EVM, the Ethereum virtual machine. Why did you choose Polygon? Yeah. So um, it was uh, it was a number of years ago where we realized, like you know, Ethereum layer one wasn't going to be feasible for <laughs> trading a dollar fifty card, right? Like you're not going to pay a twenty plus dollar gas fee. To, to yeah. trade that. Um, and so we've actually been very close with the Polygon team since like super early days. Um, to, to my knowledge, I know we were, the, we were the first game on Polygon, one of the very first dApps. Uh, I don't know which number, but we, we just spent a lot of time researching like different solutions and found that one, like the philosophy, the ethos behind Polygon is incredibly strong to contribute and expand upon the Ethereum ecosystem. There is, of course, the scalability. So, you know, we can make those transactions we're talking about, do it in a cheap way, like in Skyweaver for the time being, like users don't even actually pay the gas fee because it's so it's so small and we, we subsidize that. And mm-hmm. with Sequence, we allow other game developers, they could do the same. Um, so there's that scalability, the security and their philosophy for becoming even increasingly decentralized and increasingly secure. Um, so overall, the, the network just really fulfilled on everything we needed as a trading card game. And just like you said, being part of the EVM ecosystem, we knew the infrastructure we were building would be compatible with everything EVM compatible. So that, you know, that played a role. Um, but yeah, Polygon's been working uh, extremely well so far. And I think it's just going to it's going to keep getting better. 
That's awesome. I've um, recently been hearing a lot of more more good things about about uh, Polygon. So um, yeah, definitely some some um, some good things happening there. Um, I have some some more general questions that I'd I'd like to have your thoughts on. Um, my first question is: I've I've written down a few of the key benefits of building on blockchain games. Um, so there's the real ownership of of blockchain assets that players have. Um, then there's you know the community slash player ownership of the company through governance tokens. There's the concept of interoperability, the concept of composability, um, and also the fact that you have an instant open economy and um, liquidity and potential derivatives. Um, my first question was going to be, what excites you most of these? I'm assuming that the answer to that is real ownership because that feels like what you've built Skyweaver around. Um, what excites you after that? What 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 of these? You know, what, what do you think the blockchain can bring on top of this, this the real ownership of assets? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, man. Because when I think of all those things, I'm like, well, like the synergy of all those things working together is yeah, really yeah, what yeah. excites me the most. Because like with that ownership, you know, you you enable a a deeper sense of evangelism and excitement from folks, and likely better network effects. Because I think. People understand it now, but when we were first kind of sharing this idea in 2018, not everyone saw that like this could actually create more revenue for both like the user and the creator because you have more people who are willing to purchase in-game items because they're tradable. And you know, you talked about your experience with other games where you know those assets, those items are locked away and you don't look at them anymore and you can't you can't extract any value from it. Um, so you know. Now that you can, like, you know, you're probably more inclined to buy those things. And then that can boost revenue for the company, the user benefits, and then it creates these positive network effects. Likely people are going to share it more with their friends, like, hey, play this game where you can actually own these things. Um, so that's really cool. And then, you know, you mentioned the liquidity. Of course, that's, you know, that's kind of essential if you actually do want to be able to trade those goods, right? Like, you do need these open markets uh, in order to enable that. Um, Otherwise, it's kind of like that floor price issue you talked about where, yeah, sure, that's the floor price, but like doesn't mean someone's going to buy it from me. Um, so mm -hmm. if you have these liquid, open, decentralized markets where sort of anyone who has these cards and coins or what have you can actually provide liquidity to it and make the market more efficient, then that's super powerful. And then there's like there's all this extensibility, right, where people can do things independently of the game creator themselves. So like in Skyweaver, you know, like just as an example, there's a, a group called Meta Guild that is playing Skyweaver and they, it's like their, their focus seems to be around having really kind of skilled players part of their guild. A lot of like Hearthstone, Magic the Gathering pros who are now like, you know, in the, the Web3 TCG place and space and super excited by, by Skyweaver. And so part of their guild, like they'll buy a bunch of conquest tickets and then they'll distribute them to their guild mm. participants. And then when their guild participants win, like everyone shares in the rewards, right? Like the guild comes to own them and then different people have different stakes or what have you, however they mm -hmm. plan to distribute that, those things. And then they might also buy like a full card collection um, so that particular guild members can play constructed. Um, and, and just so everyone knows, there's two game modes in Skyweaver. There's Discovery, where you get you play with a random deck that's just given to you, and then there's Constructed, where you build your own deck based on cards that you own. 
So, you know, the Meta Guild will sometimes buy those decks for their players. And then again, like the rewards are shared amongst guild members. And then there's other ideas that we've been playing around with, like um, having in-game guilds where folks could potentially, let's say like they burn multiple copies of the fungi card. And then that means that their mascot for their guild is now the fungi. And then anyone who wants to join, they they have to, let's say they have to burn one copy of that card and then they get to become mm. part of that guild and then you can have like guild versus guild matches and like guild leaderboards and guild tournaments and things of that nature and then like it could even be that let's say whenever you burn these items uh to create a guild in the first place it actually creates a DAO, uh so a decentralized autonomous organization and what could happen is that you know you burn these items and by virtue of joining the guild, you actually get minted an NFT as confirmation that you're a member of this guild. And it might be like number one, because like let's say you're the first person, Nico, like it would be like number mm-hmm. one fungi guild. And there's like artwork associated with it, right? And then, you know, then I join that guild and I get number two, like fungi guild. And so then like what that that guild could do, like they could have their own websites, they could have their own discords where in order to participate or to get access to, let's say, different channels or different experiences, you have to uh, prove that you're part of the guild and you do this with the NFT and it could grant you permissions. You know, you could of course give that or sell that to someone else. And so this can create, like they could go on and create their whole worlds around like that experience or you know, also someone could create another game around Skyweaver cards if they wanted, like Sky Beaver or something. And like, the you know, the rules could be a bit different. And then also like we've kind of touched on it, but like the extensibility of that economy where you mentioned like, yeah, other folks can build front ends to the Skyweaver market. So it's like it becomes it could become this like gigantic ecosystem where there's all sorts of independent things happen. Some of them perhaps more strongly connected with the original Skyweaver and then others perhaps more loosely affiliated, but all of them like being part of this gigantic uh, ecosystem where there are a ton of possibilities. And I'll be honest with you, like when I think kind of three, five, six, seven years in the future, I'm like, I don't like, I don't, I don't know what it's going to look like. I think it's going to be incredible, but it's not like mm-hmm. concrete in my, in my head yet. When I hear you describe that line of thoughts where, you know, you have a guild and then you have to burn a bunch of uh, cards and then that icon becomes your guild icon. Um, I just want to, you know, grab all of the people who are hating on blockchain and tell them, like, how would you do Like, why why do you keep saying blockchain doesn't solve anything, any of the problems we have today? Listen to this. Um, that was really great, uh, really inspiring and um, exciting as well. And, you know, it summarizes um, or illustrates my thoughts as well. So um, very good answer. Um, you've told about or you've explicitly said that Skyweaver is play to own instead of play to earn. Um, what are your thoughts on the sustainability of play to earn um, moving forward? Yeah, well, I mean, so there's there's play to earn as a name and then there's play to earn as an actual like practice or mechanism in a game. And as far as my understanding of economics goes, like if everyone can earn super easily in the game, and like mint a bunch of assets and such, like, I don't, in my mind, I think it's going to become like a inflated market. Um, And I'm not claiming to be like a mastermind economist. Like there, I'm sure there's probably tons of, like there are tons of ideas down the road that like people will come up with new stuff and we'll 
we'll we'll figure new things out about economics. But um, I think with with one of the issues I see with play to earn is that if you're setting the expectation that the game is about earning, and then someone comes to the game and they're not earning, well, that that's pretty disappointing. And you know maybe you just leave because your original intent is not filled. And then if everyone's earning, well, then you kind of run into the scenario that I've described where I think you're going to end up with this kind of hyperinflationary market and then you're actually not actually earning anything of value. Um, and furthermore, like if, if your game's purely based on play to earn and then a new product comes out where there's a higher yield, I mean, I think the natural tendency is to just go shift over and go after that higher yield. So... What we've focused on is being play to own in that if you win an item, if you purchase an item from the market from another player, that you truly own that item and it's yours to do whatever you want with. Um, but first and foremost, it's about the game experience in and of itself. So like, even if you don't win anything, like the, the purposes of just enjoying the game, the strategy in and of itself. And we believe that if you can build a, a really strong game first, experience kind of independently of how much someone might earn from the experience, then you can foster a, a, a long-term community that's in it for intrinsic reasons, uh, perhaps more so than just like some financial gain. Mm -hmm. It's a really good answer. And to just, you know, agree with what you said about um, sustainability of, of play to earn and, and people playing a game to earn money. Um, one of the basic rules of economics is there is no such thing as a free lunch. And so, you know, having one ecosystem where everyone makes money, it just doesn't work. Uh, maybe it does for a bit, but uh, at least not sustainably. Um, and now we're at the, the final question that I'd like to ask all my guests. Um, and um, it's not always exactly the same one, but I'm, I'm a big fan of bold predictions. So with this, Michael, could you share with us a bold prediction about blockchain games? Yeah, um, I have a couple different tangents here that are going on in my head, and what like Go ahead. this one might not be that bold because I'm sure other people are saying it too. But I believe that in ten years, like most games will be Web three games. They'll be connected to the blockchain. I don't think every game needs to be. You know, like if there are if there isn't the ownership of items, like you know, it might not need to be. So there's no need to force a game onto blockchain just for the sake of doing so. Um, but I do think most games will be in that players, users will come to expect being able to own the items that they pay for, especially, and likely a lot of the items they win too. Um, I think with respect to, you know, and then I can imagine all sorts of scenarios with respect to like those guilds and how those DAOs start to evolve around the ecosystem. And then this starts tying in with like Web3 and the metaverse more broadly, in which I think a lot of people are going to have a lot of their identity or kind of an alternative identity to their physical world identity where they're in, you know, Web3 and the metaverse and they derive as much meaning from that experience as they do from the physical world. Um, you know, that tangent in and of itself makes me question if we're already in a blockchain-based virtual reality. Um, but then this would be kind of another layer to that and new dimension. Um, and Something that I think is super beautiful about Web3 um, and these games is the ability to have this global economic system where everyone can participate just by having this internet connection. And I think it offers a lot more, um, you know, it enables a lot more equal opportunity 
um, and, and access uh, with these permissionless systems. And I think that's super exciting. There is this idea I have, and like I don't know when it's going to happen, but of this like unified consciousness where in which everyone's participating in these decentralized experiences and economies, accessing it from anywhere in the world, feeling as though they're physically uh, close with one another through virtual means. We could have this uh, like awakening where everyone at the same time like just taps into love and recognizes this like unity and oneness. Um, so maybe that's like my bold prediction that all of these things could end up leading to this like uh, beautiful, yeah, just beautiful awakening and awareness uh, somewhere down the road. That's really good. I really like that. Um, cool. Well, um, that's it for our time, Michael. I thank you so much for joining me on, on the pod. Um, listener, I hope you enjoyed. Uh, I hope you're ex as excited about Horizon, Skyweaver, and Sequence as I am. Um, I'm going to play more of that game. I want to get some of these NFTs, maybe even get some gold NFTs. Um, yeah, that's what I'm going to go for. It's my new, new, uh, after I finished binging Elden Ring, um, I'm going to, I'm going to put myself to that. Elden, that's a good game. Anyway, um, Michael, thanks so much for coming on. Listener, thanks you for listening. Um, yeah, this was the Metacost and we look forward to speaking to you in the next episode. Cheers.